Well, I missed being with you last week. I told Johnny as, as he prepared his message that I was repentant over what I'd done to you the week before because I felt like I tried too hard to tell you the whole story of Joseph. And it's just way too much detail. I felt like this big dump truck that I just dumped it all on you. And <clears throat> I'm trying not to do that this morning because there's so many parts and things we could chase as we see the story of God unfolding. So I gave you a, a handout. <clears throat> we stuck it in the ministry guide. Uh, <clears throat> Johnny asked me about it this morning. He said, so uh, where'd this come from? I said, well, I, I made it up quickly last night. He said, it looks like you made it up quickly last night. <clears throat> uh, could we hold it a week? And uh, give it out next week. I said, no, because that'll mess up my whole sermon if you do, <clears throat> because I need you to see this as a way to review where we are in the story of God. The book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. Now, there are 66 books in the Bible, so we're not going to try to cover every one of them and tell you the theme of every one of them, but the book of Genesis is so foundational as we see the creation of man made in the image of God, as we see the fall of Adam and Eve as they sinned in the garden, and as God promised even then that he would send Jesus. We saw the story of Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham. We saw the promise that God would, through his seed, bless all nations. We saw how his son Isaac became the fulfillment of that promise. And Isaac had two sons. We didn't go over the story of Esau and Jacob, but perhaps you remember one was very hairy, one was smooth, smoothie, and they, as you put, you try to figure out how that worked, you'd know the story if you, if you read it. <clears throat> Jacob was a deceiver. He deceived his dad, and he deceived to get the blessing. But even in his deceiving, God was showing us that he would change our name from the deceiver to the blessed one, and his name would be changed from Jacob to is from Jacob to Israel <clears throat> as God was showing his promises made present in the people of God. Now Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was one. Joseph was sold into slavery, thrown into a pit, taken by a group of bandits down into Egypt, and he was sold there but he made his way to the palace where he became the one that God would use to deliver the children of Israel. But it's important that you see Joseph went to Egypt, and that's how the people of God wound up in Egypt. God has said they'd be there for 400 years. And after 400 years of slavery, God raised up a deliverer named Moses. If I had this to do over, and if you see it next week, it probably will not say 400 years slavery plagues. It will probably say Moses there. <clears throat> because that would be the trigger word to help you remember the unfolding of the story of God. What a cool story of how God worked through Moses. And how God raised him up as a deliverer to deliver the people of God. And that final plague... The Passover, 
I, I told Johnny when we looked at the calendar and we'd planned this out, I was really jealous that he had a chance to preach the Passover because you remember the story how they took the blood and they put it over the doorpost and how the angel of death passed over and by faith applying that blood they were able to live. Remember we've said Jesus is the thread that holds it all together? What a great picture of putting the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of our heart by faith and watching how God gives us not the death we deserve, but gives us life. As Moses led them out, we come to try to understand the meaning, like we did of the meaning of the word Genesis, the meaning of the word Exodus. It means the departing, the exit, the going out. So today, we, we come to the place that we're going to look at three parts of their going out that will give us the thread of the story of God, of how God was working to lay the foundation for Christ. I have a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my heroes from yesteryear. He preached a message called the Exodus, December night, 1855. Here's what he said. The historical books of Scripture were intended to teach us by types and figures spiritual things. We believe that in every portion of Scripture, history is not only a faithful transcript of what did actually happen, but also a shadow of what happened spiritually in the dealings of God with His people. So today, the dealing of God with His people, how does the Red Sea, the giving of the law, and the tabernacle show us something about the heart of God and his plan for his people. Well, <clears throat> let me tell you the story. The people of God had gone out. There were millions of them. Most estimates are two and a half million people. Now, I used to have trouble taking my four children out to eat, you know. <clears throat> I can't imagine what it was like to give leadership to two and a half million people. But the people of God went out, and once they had gone out, first of all, Pharaoh and the people of Egypt wanted them to leave. Quick, leave. <laughs> After that Passover and the killing of all the, the, the firstborn sons, the the place was in weeping and grieving and they said enough of this your God's too powerful for us get out well when they left the people of Egypt looked around and said oh man now we're going to have to work <laughs> all our slaves just left <clears throat> what are we going to do so it didn't take them long to move through their grieving to move into pursuing and they went after them and when they went after them, the Bible says that God did not lead the children of Israel the straightest way. He led them by a different way because he knew if they went the straight way, they would encounter war and they were not ready to fight. Kind of cool how God was leading and shaping his people to make them what they ought to be. But God took them and he had them camp right before the Red Sea. Now, my picture has always been like a cartoon. 
I, I can see VeggieTales in my brain, all right? I, I can see the people of God coming over a hill and looking down and seeing the Red Sea and slamming on brakes and dust goes everywhere. And they go, oh no, how are we going to get across the Red Sea? And they look back and they see the Pharaoh and the army and they look and see the Red Sea. But it didn't happen that way. That's how I always envisioned it. God told his people to camp by the Red Sea. He set them up. He did. He set them up. Because he knew they weren't ready for war if they went the straight way. So he set them up so that he could show them how powerful he really was. And they woke up one morning and said, "Uh uh-oh, we're trapped. We've got the Red Sea on one side. And we've got Pharaoh and the army on the other. And God said, I've got you right where I want you. It's kind of like how I felt yesterday when we started the fourth quarter, Georgia losing to LSU. I I texted my kids. I said, we got them right where we want them. You know, I was just hoping that there was going to be a deliverance in the fourth quarter, but there wasn't. So for you Georgia fans, I'm still a Georgia fan. I just won't wear my hat for a while. Okay, but anyway, they were set up, all right? They had no way out. And God said, stand still and watch the salvation of your God. He told Moses to take that staff that he had once turned from a, into a snake and turned back into a staff. That same staff that had been used to strike the water and one of the plagues. And now he says, you take that staff and you hold it up, and watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to separate the water, and you and the children of Israel are going to go across on dry land. And that's exactly what happened. And when they got on the other side, God let Pharaoh and his army pursue them. And as they pursued them into the Red Sea, God let the water come back and wipe them out. And the scripture says that the people of God sang a song. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord my God, my strength and song has now become my victory. What an incredible celebration they had on the other side as they saw God had delivered them. But then what happened? God led his children to Mount Sinai. And Moses went up and received the law. And he not only received the law, but he received a pattern for the tabernacle that they might worship him. So this morning, we're going to go over these. These three parts of the story of God. What he did when he delivered them with the Red Sea. What he did when he gave them the law. And what he did when he gave them the tabernacle. So let's do it in that order because that's the order in which it happened. First, I want you to see how the Red Sea is the dramatic, pivotal, physical place where God demonstrated his deliverance to his people. It's so interesting that when you read the Old Testament, God not only is referred to as the creator of the universe, 
But often God, when he refers to his character of his people, he will say, I am the Lord your God who led you out of slavery into the promised land. What did God do when he delivered them? How did God lead them? Well, let's break that down. He delivered them. I told you that he held up the staff and the water separated, the scripture says. And as he led them, he led them across on dry land as he delivered them. I want to turn this morning in in the book of Exodus and find just a couple of passages that speak of God's deliverance. First of all, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 14. In the future, when your son asks, what does this mean? Say to him, by the strength of his hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. To this day, the children of Israel celebrate the Passover. And they go through a very detailed explanation of this event. And they even acted out almost like a play when one of the children says, So, Father, what does this mean? But you wouldn't have to do it with a script. It, it would happen pretty naturally. If you were going through the details of the Passover supper and celebration, and the children would say, What is this all about? The children of Israel were to explain that this was the picture of the deliverance that God did for his people. And today, we could have our sons and daughters ask us the same thing about the cross. What does this mean? It is the place of deliverance. The cross is the place where we see God taking us from slavery to the promised land. It is in the cross that we see on one side that we were enslaved and could not overcome on our own. But God dramatically brought us through the cross, delivered us through death and hell and separation from him, and brought us to the other side, giving us the promise of abundance and eternal life. So there's no question that The picture of the Red Sea is a picture of deliverance where he delivered them. But in his delivering them, I told you, he led them. Let's look back in the book of Exodus and see how he led them. First in Exodus chapter 13, again, verse 17 When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. Aren't you glad today that God leads you tenderly? And that God does not show you everything but one step at a time? I know we often say, but God, if you could just give me a little insight over the next year. If you could just tell me how you're going to do this, you know, five years from now. And God says, "Mm, no, you couldn't handle it. You can handle one day trusting what kind of God I am and knowing that tomorrow I'll be the same kind of God and I'll give you what you need. God knows how to lead his dear children along. 
God knows how to direct our paths and give us what we need when we need it. So the scripture says that he was leading them there. But there's one more thing I want you to see because as you think about God leading them through the Red Sea, look at Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them their way during the day and then a pillar of fire to lead them at night so that they could travel by day or by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. I can't see that without thinking about how God leads me and you today. By his spirit, he leads us. The scripture says that those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Do you remember when you gave your heart to Jesus? Do you remember when you realized that you had sinned and you needed a Savior? Do you remember how God did something that day to change you from the inside out? God doesn't lead his children to see if he can take us somewhere to make us tougher. God leads us by the tenderness of his spirit to give us direction by day or by night. And Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God delivered them at the Red Sea. What a great picture of the cross for us. God led them to and through the Red Sea. What a picture of the Spirit of God working inside of us. But it goes on. As he delivered them, he demonstrated his incredible power to them. In Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation of your Lord. He will provide for you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. <laughs> I don't know how you tell two and a half million people to be quiet, but he told them, quit your murmuring, quit your worrying. God is about to show up and to deliver you. And the application that we should always see on this side of the cross, when we look back at the story of God, we see the incredible redemption and deliverance of God's people to and through the Red Sea, just like we see God delivering us to and through the cross. We can spend time today talking about how Egypt is a picture not only of slavery, but a picture of bondage and how God has to come to us and convict us of our sin. God had to come to his people and bring them together and show them why they needed to be delivered. And God did the same thing with me and you. So in the story of God as we apply it, the Red Sea is a picture of our salvation and deliverance and we can't help but see the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What a beautiful picture of God leading his people. But today we're focusing on the second application to the Exodus, and that is the giving of the law. When God led them through and they celebrated his presence. God took them to the place that he would give them direction through the law. I told Jake this morning that we should be singing about the Red Cross. 
I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. Remember how that little powerful chorus goes in the middle? He split the sea, and I just walked right through it. I hope the next time you sing that song in worship, God brings to your mind the picture of his deliverance. Just like he delivered the people of God, he delivered you from your sin and your shame and yourself to take you through the cross and bring you to himself. So now we're on the other side of the Red Sea, and Moses goes up into the mountain, Mount Sinai, to get the law. Oh, we could spend weeks just on this one part and talking about the giving of the law and what God intended when he gave it. But I want to show you in Exodus chapter 20, if you don't know where the Ten Commandments are, look to Exodus chapter 20 and see this giving of the law. I used to say I'm going to wait to hear the pages turn, but now I'm going to wait till you dial it up. All right? Are you with me? Exodus chapter 20. I, I want you to see how it begins. Then the Lord spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Did you know that that is the preamble to the Ten Commandments? That God was declaring to them, this is who I am, and this is who you are, so hear my direction on how you should live. And then he begins, do not have any other gods beside me. I remember preaching the Ten Commandments and looking at people who were trying to figure out where to find them in the Bible. Well, it's kind of hard because verse 3 is commandment 1. So, I mean, how do you, you, you got to work a little numbering gig here to figure out how to get them all 10 in and put them together. And the Ten Commandments are given again in Deuteronomy, in case I don't get to say this to you at another point. The Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. The fifth one is Deuteronomy. Do you know where the word, what the word Deuteronomy means? Deuteronomos, the second giving of the law. And so Deuteronomy is when Moses gives the great explanation of the law in summary again before he dies and the people of God go into the promised land. And that's how fast a pace we're on. We'll get there next week, all right? So now we're at the giving of the law. Well, today we could spend so much time talking about these Ten Commandments, what they mean, how they shape our understanding of God, how they shape our understanding of what God wants when he wants what's best in a society. But instead, I would like for us to make application to think about how we should live in light of who he is. Notice verse 2, he speaks of his redemption. He speaks of that's who he is, the one who brought us out and delivered us from slavery. So how do you summarize the law? All that he gave, the Ten Commandments and all the other details he gave, how do you summarize it? Well, I checked Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I'm not sure about John, but at least in all three of those Gospels, 
there's a summary given as Jesus interacts talking about the law. I just want to put before you this morning Matthew. Matthew chapter 22 verses 35 through 40 reads like this. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question trying to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. You can wrap up those first commandments talking about God of how we're to love him with all our heart. You can wrap up all those commandments talking about our fellow man and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's a whole lot of things that would be changed if when we look at somebody else, we ask the question, if I were that person, how would I want to be treated? So the summary of the law is loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. But why was the law given? Why in the New Testament do we care about the law? The scripture says that the law leads us to Christ. How does the law lead us to Christ, you may ask? The law shows us how bad we are in light of how good God is. The law shows us that we're not perfect and He is. The law shows us that He truly is other and how desperately we need a Savior. Oh, you say, well, I have not broken any of the Ten Commandments. Oh, really? Did you hear how Jesus applied it in the Sermon on the Mount? You say that you have not committed adultery, but you've looked on a woman with lust, and you've already committed adultery in your heart. You say, but I have not murdered, but you look at your brother and you hate him, so you've committed murder already in your heart. You see, in our hearts, we have not loved God with all of our heart, and in our hearts, we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. and the law shows us that we are not like God and we need a Savior. That's why the New Testament writer would say that it is the law as our tutor that leads us to Christ. So in our application today, I want us to move from the deliverance in the Red Sea to seeing the giving of the law and realizing that we are not like God and we need a Savior to one more application of what happened in this exodus. <clears throat> As a part of the giving of the law, God gave very meticulous, detailed instruction on how to build a tabernacle. I hope sometime you'll go and you'll read all the detail God gave in the building of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, to read how God described every piece of it. And he kept saying to Moses, do it exactly like I'm telling you. Why was that so important? That God set up the tent of meeting and he said he would meet them there. 
for the tent of meeting to have an outer court and an inner court and an innermost court. What was God describing even in the the way that they were to ceremonially wash their hands and how they were to sacrifice the animals and what was taking place when God told them how to build that tabernacle. It was a picture, I believe, and the New Testament describes of how God wants to be worshipped. The tabernacle and then when they started feeling guilty that they were worshipping God with a tent, they built a temple And it was built by a design of an outer court, an inner court, and a holy of holies. What was God trying to teach his people through that detailed description of how they were to worship him? Well, in the outer court, where you could gather, God was demonstrating that you could not go but so far on your own. In the inner court where the sacrifices were made regularly God was showing the people that they needed the blood sacrifice for their sin but then there was the holy of holies the innermost court I know you've heard at least on TV or on a calendar, Yom Kippur. Grew up Baptist, Protestant. What does that mean? It's the most holy day of the Jewish people. The day of atonement. The day that God described in detail to his people of how the perfectly prepared priest, because if he didn't do it right, he might go in, but he wasn't coming out, all right? The perfectly prepared priest was to enter into the holy of holies before the Lord and make sacrifice for the people. And in the description, there's this majestic imagery of the mercy seat. The mercy seat covered in gold contained inside the testimony of the Lord, the Ten Commandments. Later we see it containing, uh, I think, the rod that budded for Aaron and some of the manna. I'm trying to remember. I didn't get that far in my study. All right. But those are the things included inside that mercy seat. And here's what God said they were to do. The priest was to go into the Holy of Holies and apply blood to the mercy seat. Do you understand how that's a picture of your worship today? Inside the mercy seat, the Ten Commandments reveal your sinfulness. But applied to the mercy seat, the blood of Jesus makes a way for you to approach holy God, be forgiven, and have an audience with Him. Jesus is described throughout the New Testament as our complete high priest, as the high priest who 
interceded for us and still does. And look at what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 11 says, The Messiah has appeared, the high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Before we, before we leave that, once for all is very important for you to see. On the true day of atonement, when God put our sin on Jesus, there was no more need for further sacrifice. There was no more need for a high priest. He became our high priest and once for all appeared. Verse 14 says, How much more would the blood of the Messiah who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You want to serve God today? You don't do it on your own. You don't present him your works. You don't pretend to be good enough. You want to serve God today? You say, I believe you delivered me from slavery through the cross of Jesus, you brought me out so you could bring me in. And you gave me your description of how life ought to be lived. And I continuously find myself coming short. So I come to you today because of Jesus, who took his blood into the Holy of Holies and made the perfect sacrifice for my sin. And then growing from the abundance of your forgiveness. You can't help but love and serve others because you know what God has done for you. All of service before the living God is not to make ourselves better or to impress Him. All of service before the living God is a result of what He's done for us and now how how by His Spirit He works through us. How much more can we, with a clear conscience, from our dead works, serve the living God? So let me ask you, today, do you see how the picture of the Red Sea is a picture of your deliverance? Do you see how the law is an understanding of how much you need God? And do you see how the tabernacle gives the imagery and the presentation of what Jesus did when he died for us? Jesus really is the thread that ties it all together. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and reflect on what we've heard today in the Word of God. Lord, we know 
how much we need a Savior. We know left to ourselves, we would be in bondage and could not break free. But you came to us and you sought us out and you delivered us. You gave us the pattern for a perfect life in your word. And then you gave us the pattern of how to approach your perfection with a need for a Savior. So today we come to the Father. We come through the Son. We give you the glory. Great things you have done. Show us how to live with confidence that you're leading us and you will never leave us and that you have a plan for us because we are bought with the blood of Christ. Holy Spirit, make our hearts your temple. May we be clean as we pursue you and seek your face. Make our lives a living sacrifice of response to the sacrifice you gave. And we'll give you the credit for how you love us and how you lead us and how you live in us through the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.